0: Though the central issue presented in this film is the debate over physician-assisted suicide, we will not be discussing the morality of the issue since this is a film podcast. However, we will be discussing the characters' stances and actions and the issues which this film raises. We understand that this may be a triggering topic for many listeners, so please be advised when listening.
1: Hello and welcome back to our podcast Where Do I Know Them From. As always my name is Alexandra
0: and I'm Elizabeth and this is the podcast where we watch every single movie that Sam Claflin has ever been in and report back to you. All right here are our Letterboxd reviews for today. First we have two stars. I thought this was the Stephen Hawking movie. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> then we have 1.5 stars. Wow, I didn't know Manic Pixie Dream Girl Syndrome was so powerful it could cure depression. Literally, Magic? Literally, just to be happy and then you won't be depressed anymore as yeah, well. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we've been saying. Um, 2.5 stars. Neville Longbottom gets angry at Daenerys Targaryen when she is getting too touchy-feely with Finnick Odair. Wild. That one's really giving Tumblr. Like... Honestly, it's a significantly better plot than Letterboxd wrote for this movie. <laughs> so...
1: <laughs> All right. Well, this movie was A Me Before You, which Elizabeth thinks is one of the movies that people know Sam Claflin best for. So I'm excited to talk to you guys today about it.
0: Yeah. And in an exciting change of pace, I will be reading all the information about it. So Whoa, buckle get, up. Gotta keep people on their toes. <laughs> yeah. We got to keep it fresh for the listeners at home. This movie came out in 2016 and was directed by Thea Sherrick. It was her debut film, actually. Nice. The screenplay is written by Jojo Moyes, who also wrote the book that inspired the movie. It's edited by John Wilson. And the cinematography is by Remy Adaferson. So like I mentioned earlier, it's based on Jojo Moyes' 2012 book, which is actually part of a series. Don't ask me how this book fits into a series, because I don't know. I didn't read the other books. The story was inspired by her own family, where relatives required 24-hour care, as well as a real-life news story about a quadriplegic man who convinced his parents to take him to a center for assisted suicide. About Trainer's decision, she said, quote, The fact is, in the film, as in the book, nobody else agrees with what he decides to do. This is not by any means sending out a message. It's just one character. It's nothing more than that. And I think that that is emblematic of the vibe that we are trying to go for, which is that we are just trying to assess the plot of the story and not necessarily the larger moral implications of physician-assisted suicide. So I thought it was an important quote to include. It's 110 minutes long, and it includes the major actors Amelia Clark as Lou, Sam Claflin as Will Trainer, Janet Mateer as Camilla Trainer. Charles Dance as Stephen Trainer, Brendan Coyle as Bernard Clark, Steve Peacock as Nathan, Matthew Lewis as Patrick, Jenna Coleman as Trina, Vanessa Kirby as Alyssa DeWars, and Diane Morgan as Sharon, who you might know from Kunk on Earth. Um, so that was, a was, jump that was pretty interesting for us. Yeah. The score is composed by Craig Armstrong, who's done a lot of romances and big films, so that was kind of fun and exciting. Too bad I hated all other musical aspects of this movie.
1: Literally. Oh, my <laughs> God. So bad.
0: It was produced by Karen Rosenfeld, Alison Owen, New Line Cinema, MGM, and Sunswept Entertainment. It was also distributed by Warner Brothers Pictures. The plot, according to Letterboxd, is, which I've already mentioned, is flawed. <laughs> yes. A small-town girl is caught between dead-end jobs. A high-profile, successful man becomes wheelchair-bound following an accident. The man decides his life is not worth living until the girl is hired for six months to be his new caretaker— Worlds apart and trapped together by circumstance, the two get off to a rocky start. But the girl becomes determined to prove to the man that life is worth living, and they embark on a series of adventures together. Each finds their world changing in ways neither of them could begin to imagine. Fat plot. Why are there no names in it? Yeah, there's no names. It also sucks Everything yeah. ab- okay, when I was reading the plot, it made me upset because I had just read that quote from the author of the screenplay and the book that said, like, we're not trying to make implications about whether or not life is worth living for people in that situation. Like, we're just trying to analyze this one character's thoughts and feelings. And I feel like this plot does the opposite of that. It's like, good girl next door tries to convince angry businessman that life is worth living. And that's totally not the point. Yeah, the grammar also, like, when it says the man decides his life is not worth living until the girl is hired, I'm like, yeah. So
1: her. It implies he changes changes his mind, and he
0: it definitely doesn't. So anyway, we'll talk more about the plot in a second. Critically, it did really well. It made over $208 million in the box office. Critics loved their chemistry but hated the treatment of the issue. It sparked criticism from many in the disability rights movement who perceive an underlying message that people with disabilities are a burden on their families and caregivers, and claim that the film promotes a view that people are better off dead than disabled. They view the film as advocating for suicide so that their loved ones can live more boldly. Live boldly was the tag for the film, too. Was the tag for the film. And others found the film exploitative of the disability community by stirring emotions of viewers without actually aiding disabled people by accurate representation or employment in acting roles. So people are mad that they did not hire disabled actors, that the overall plot is supportive of physician-assisted suicide and may or may not imply that disabled people are better off dead which I think is sort of a fair criticism of the story. I feel, though, that, and I'm sure we'll get into this further, that the plot, while it ends in
1: vicious and assisted suicide, does not necessarily support it.
0: Yeah, I think exactly what the author said. Like, everyone at some point in the story disagrees with his decision. Yeah. And I think it is more supposed to be thought-provoking than it is supposed to be teaching. But we'll get into that. <laughs> Letterbox gave it a 3.4. And then this is where we kind of see a pretty drastic split between critics and audiences. Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 54%, and the audience on Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 73%. On Metacritic, it got a 51% from reviewers and a 69 from users. So user scores are way higher. So user and audience scores are way higher, and I think that that's fair because the story and the acting and the characters are good. But it's not technically a very great movie. Yeah. Soundtrack especially. (laughs) Yeah. Soundtrack especially. And then our only real production note is that after finishing the film, Sam Claflin remarked that this was probably the most physically demanding role that he ever played, which might be counterintuitive since he spends most of it not moving. But I agree. I can see how that would make sense. Yeah. Sam Claflin, for those of you who haven't picked it up so far,
1: is the wheelchair bound actor. He plays Will Trainer, like Elizabeth said. And because of his accident, he is left quadriplegic at a point where like his chest is immobilized. So he, yeah. like because of physical therapy in the first year after his accident, he has very limited mobility in like two or three of his fingers but otherwise he can only move his head and even not that very much. Mm -hmm. So really all of his acting is in his face and so I can imagine that for Sam Claflin who we know is someone who uses his body in a lot of his acting like he moves very fluidly through a space. and especially when we talked about the Riot Club he like changes his physical bearing to portray a character. Mm -hmm. Here where he couldn't
0: do that I imagine that it was really hard to like hold himself back. I think that holding back is kind of like the key there in that like part of this is that like so much of us take for granted movement in our life right and to like have to be physical physically cognizant that like nothing on your person is moving at any given time must be very difficult. Mm -hmm. As much as we are here to support Sam Claflin, arguably this role would be much easier to play for someone who was actually disabled. Yeah. Worth noting. who
1: actually was paralyzed from the chest down. From the chest
0: down. Yeah. Yeah. So we already talked about it a lot. So we'll just get it out of the way. I hated the soundtrack for this movie. I thought the score, like the parts that were not pop music was great. It was nice. Yeah. I didn't notice it, so it must have been doing its job. Yeah. But every song that was written before this movie that they decided to play was not so good. I did not care for it. It sounded like a weird hybrid between heavy metal and the Fifty Shades of Grey soundtrack. Yeah. This is mostly the music that Will is listening to, and I think it's supposed to, like, demonstrate his angst. But I feel like they could have just gone full heavy metal. They didn't have to pick this weird EDM middle of the road situation. He has the worst taste on Earth. He has terrible taste. For a man that is talking about how great his taste is Mm -hmm. and how much he can't believe Believe that Lou hasn't developed her own taste, then I'm just shocked at how awful the music is. We do want to clarify,
1: Elizabeth and I don't hate metal music or metal <laughs> listeners. It's just, it's bad metal music. Like, yeah. even his taste within the genre is bad.
0: Yeah. And I think that perhaps the argument can be made that, like, he's just angry and it's yeah. just noise, you know? But I didn't like it, and on top of that, all of the other songs they chose for like montage sequences, the stuff that they picked that was more poppy, also didn't hit. I felt like it didn't match the vibe of the montage. Oh, it was Tasteless, yeah. And when they're dancing oh, and god. they play the Ed Sheeran song, it's like when your legs don't work like they used to when before. Are you joking don't work me? Like they used oh to my before. god. <laughs> It was so cringe. It was the worst thing I ever watched. So many of the Letterboxd reviews commented on that scene specifically, like when they start to go dancing, then it sings when your legs don't work like they used to before. But anyway, I mean, that was like the only thing about this movie that I like really hated is I was like, the songs are corny. Like, let's cut that. Yeah. I feel that the movie probably could have been better with just a score rather than pop music or at least if the pop music were better. Yeah, I feel like pop music has a really excellent opportunity to like Situate a period piece Mm -hmm. and people never decide to do that well. I don't know. Pop music is hard to use in movies sometimes and it's hard to use well. Yeah. Other technical
1: choices, though, we did like, particularly the costuming. Yeah. Okay. A lot of people love to hate on Lou or Amelia Clark's character because her costumes are crazy. Crazy to the point that no one would logically wear any of them. They might Mm -hmm. wear individual pieces. But I do think that the costumers clearly had a lot of fun costuming her. Mm -hmm. And the amount of colors and patterns that she wears and her just general vibe really communicates the character well in ways that Amelia Clark wasn't doing as much.
0: Yeah, I think here, and I'm going to do this a bunch of times throughout our episode, I'm going to talk about the book because Mm -hmm. I read the book recently on a completely unrelated note before we decided to do Sam Claflin. One of the only things that I don't like about this book-to-movie adaptation is that it kind of does flatten a lot of the characters and their backstory. And one of the things that you learn about Lou in the book that you don't learn about her in the movie is that she was sexually assaulted when she was a teenager. Whoa. Whoa. And that she explicitly says in the book, like, she makes the connection while she's narrating that she uses clothes as, like, a way to protect herself and, like, keep people... Like, if they're going to look, they're going to look at something that's spectacular, but also, like, it's a way for her to protect herself. Interesting. And I think that people may have not hated on her style so much if that element was included. Yeah. I understand why they cut it, because when this movie came out in 2016, like that whole twee vibe was kind of in like just having quirky fashion was kind of like a moment and amelia clark was kind of like a quirky lady so like i feel like they thought they could probably just get away with it by making it like an element of her character but i think by not including it we kind of lose this like really important element of her personhood yeah and like while he has these boundaries to being physical from his disability she also has them yeah and it kind of helps them develop their relationship in a little bit of a deeper way You also made the comment that a lot of the
1: other characters, particularly her family, were quite flat in the way that made them more likable, too. Yeah. So it's just kind of reducing all complexity from any character.
0: Well, yeah, I think so. Yeah, they do make quite a bit of the characters flatter. And I think on the most part, it works. Like, we still start out the movie not hating Patrick, and then we grow to hate him, which is kind of what happens in the book, too. Mm -hmm. I think that her family dynamic is just more nuanced. And honestly, like, I read this book with a bunch of other people. We, like, all passed it around and read it together and all of them commented on her family situation and kind of everyone had a different read on it and like there were certain scenes where everyone was uniformly like wow they're being terrible to Lou and there were other scenes where I was like they're not being so mean to Lou right now at all like they love her they're just joking with her and other people were like wow her family sucks she needs to get out of there immediately so I think probably those characters in the movie benefited from flattening just because It didn't take a lot of work to read their motive. And it made them seem a little more, like, cohesive.
1: Okay. Yeah. I can definitely see that.
0: Yeah. But I thought that the characterization was good. Across everybody, I thought that everyone was pretty well-developed. I would have liked that piece of background about Lou's character, but it makes her whole thing about her wardrobe kind of click for you. But other than that, it doesn't necessarily service the plot in any way, so I could understand how they cut it. But anyway.
1: I think you also mentioned that all the other casting choices, like, were really strong.
0: Yes. The cast for this movie is exceptional. It's stacked. How'd they yeah, get all is... these people? Well, it's because the book was like a bestseller, but...
1: And I think, honestly, that everyone did a very good job, too. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice anyone sticking out as doing a poor job. I think particularly his parents, Jenna McTeer and Charles Dance did a phenomenal job. They also just look like a power couple together which i understand <laughs> the actual couple in the book is not a power couple since he's having an yeah. affair on her that's but. the
0: only other big change that i noticed in the book is that in the book mr trainer is explicitly having an affair which is why he's like not around for some of the accidents that happen while lou is taking care of um will alone and uh, while he is the most supportive of will's decision He has also decided that he's going to leave his wife for this other woman after Will dies. So that kind of makes the whole physician-assisted suicide question a little more morally gray in the book, I think, because we're like, okay, this guy is supportive of his son's decision, but he's also clearly a bad guy, which I think is good. It's like real portrayal of like an actual person, right? Like you can be good and bad at the same time. You Mm -hmm. can have good opinions and make poor decisions also. This is very
1: interesting. I feel like also that, and you mentioned this a little bit with Amelia Clark's wardrobe, because of the amount of boundaries that are erased during the movie, like each character starts off with higher walls than they end up with. Mm-hmm. It's important that these actors are capable of portraying that shift, both in their relationship and in themselves. Mm-hmm. So nice. Also, Amelia Clark and Sam Claflin both are eyebrow actors. They both, <laughs>
0: have yeah, massive eyebrows. I think that Sam Claflin's eyebrows did more work in this movie than I'll ever do in my entire life. Yeah, like it was so. Yeah, they carried. They carried the role. Truly, he should have those things insured. <laughs> Maybe he does.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like actors could have like parts of them and like their people trademark. do. Yeah. Yeah. Like hair. Yeah. I feel like also since we're on the note of costuming that it might be useful to talk about the set dressing. Yeah. So at the very beginning, like the movie starts off. Will is kissing Alicia, who is his fiance before or like, his his girlfriend, his fiance. I don't know. They're they're in a relationship before his accident. And they're just in this cocoon of white, like everything in his apartment is aggressively white. And I don't know if it's like a, a rich white, like that he can afford to keep his apartment that clean. Or is it white in like an innocent pre-accident before he became jaded kind of way? Mm-hmm. But his apartment is aggressively white, like hurts to look at white. And then when he gets out of bed and he walks into the shower, you see that there are also a lot of yellow accents. Like he's got yellow chairs, he's got a yellow kayak, he's got like yellow art, some yellow vases. And so I feel like one, that's a weird accent color to have if your entire apartment is white. No judgment, but again, an an illustration of his terrible taste. But I feel like that yellowness kind of matches with Lou's yellow elements. Like she has a yellow raincoat that she wears a lot. She gets those yellow bumblebee tights. She has a yellow bag. So I feel like those two yellows are kind of supposed to indicate that they maybe are more compatible than they appear on the surface. Mm-hmm. Especially since his new apartment, like once he's moved into his parents' house, is very dark. It's very earth tones, which maybe is supposed to show him as being more grounded. Except I don't think that he is when we first meet him. So I don't know. Anyway, his new home is a stark vibe change from his previous one, which might contribute to him feeling out of sorts.
0: Maybe it is less to ground him and more to ground us the audience because when we get the super white timeline in the opening shots of the movie, it's shimmery, kind of like a mm-hmm. like a like a memory. flashback or a memory. So I think it might just be to indicate like timelines and what is real and what is in the past
1: yeah and that like we gild our memories especially when they are before trauma
0: also i think there are very little objects in that memory like he is remembering movement through space taking a shower for himself like being in bed with vanessa kirby's character alicia and the objects that we do see are all objects from his activities and movement through space like one of the yellow items is an enormous kayak (laughs) that is just sitting in his house so I think that that's probably a part of the set dressing in the memory scene. Yeah. I think
1: also that between the two homes that we see in the current timeline, like Lou's home versus Will's home, the stark difference in their households, like hers is very loud and Mm -hmm. very bright and loving. Like, it's very, it's very colorful. Everyone's moving around and talking over each other, whereas his house is stark. It's very empty. He lives in a castle. It's, there's no sounds at all. Yeah. There's hardly any decoration. It serves to reinforce that they're coming from different worlds. Yeah, definitely. Different economic backgrounds.
0: Yeah, class is a huge part of their relationship. And this movie, like, it's pretty much their whole relationship, actually. Like, so much of their conflict is that he is like, you haven't done anything or seen anything. And she's like, that's because I have to work and make money. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. It did frustrate me to no end throughout this entire movie that he was constantly belittling her for liking her job at the bakery and enjoying living in this town and liking living with her parents. Mm -hmm. Whereas she is like, I have to contribute to my household. I'm the only person earning any money at the beginning of this movie. And don't hate on people for liking things. Like if she likes that job, it's what she's suited for, then let her like it. So, yeah, I just felt very condescension-y and I didn't appreciate it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, everything that they talk about is, like, so class coded, right? Like, at one point, he's like, I can't believe you've never seen a movie with subtitles. And she's like, well, they don't play them at the only movie theater in this town, Will. (laughs) So... And he judges her for not having any hobbies. And she's like, it's because I have to work full time to support my family. Mm-hmm. Elements of the plot that were not discussed in the letterbox review is that her dad loses his job. So at one point she has to keep this job because she's the only person making money in her family. Her sister decides to go back to school because she's trying to, like, escape poverty. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> not to say that they're, like, poor, but they're working class. And, like, her sister decides that to make a better life for herself, she's going to go to school. And Lou doesn't get to have that opportunity opportunity because she's like not as smart as her sister so she has to be the one that's working yeah and radical
1: honesty does kind of help them to break down some of their walls and that she tells him that she needs the money and that's kind of their first like real breakthrough in their relationship and that he starts to open up to her or at least let her do her job we do kind of see that for everyone in her family there are different ways out of poverty like her sister is trying to go to school again because that's one of the only ways out of poverty whereas Lou has a boyfriend named Patrick who is richer, I think. Like, he is some variety of wealthy. He
0: makes more money than her. Oh, he's a personal trainer.
1: Yeah, whereas on the other hand, Will has all this inherited wealth, and he doesn't have to work to maintain a lifestyle as much as, say, Patrick or even Lou does.
0: But it also leads to this, like, weird dynamic where he starts leaving her money, and in the end of the movie, he, like, has set up a whole fund for her. He says not enough to, like, live her whole life on and not work, but, like... Enough to completely start over, and that's a tricky one for me, someone who is insecure about being financially dependent. Yeah, it just feels a little bit, particularly since he receives that letter after he
1: dies, it feels a little bit like he is trying to control her. This movie is almost like a Pygmalion My Fair Lady situation in that he is, like, trying Mm. to train her to have taste.
0: I don't agree with you. I don't think? Not for one second. I'm okay. sorry. I understand why you think it reads that he's trying to control her. Okay, he does ask her to go to Paris and sit at this cafe and have this one last, like, shared experience with him, right? Like, mm-hmm. after he dies, he sends her to Paris and she eats this croissant at some shop. And he had talked about that earlier in the movie. Nice full circle moment. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't tell her what to do with her life Yeah. after okay. that. In the letter, he's like, this is enough for you to make your own way do whatever you want. Like, he doesn't say, and I think you should open a store and sell your weird freaking clothes in this city under these circumstances, you know? Like, I think he just wants to give her opportunity. And definitely, earlier in the movie... He is trying to get her interested in things that he like used to like to do right like you should watch this movie because like you've never seen these movies or like what do you mean you've never traveled anywhere like you have mm-hmm. to go to this place and uh, then by the end of the movie like it's more just I don't care what life you choose for yourself but I want you to be able to choose it for you not for your family and not to support anyone else that's so a good I point. think it does okay. kind of symbolize some growth and I don't think that he is so controlling as we might imagine yeah. Good point. He definitely does
1: like let go. Whereas earlier, it might have seemed like he was trying to, I was reading it that way, because it seems like he is trying to live vicariously through her not because he wants her to do the things that he likes to do, but because he is only enjoying the things that she's making him do because she's experiencing them for the first time and really enjoying
0: them. That makes sense. But I mean, also, she is trying really hard to control him and make sure. him have happy experiences. Right. So like yeah. their relationship is not so perfect, which is part of the reason why the story has to end the way it does. Right. Yeah. Like they're not right for each other long term. She's too optimistic and he is too judgy. And their relationship is also very
1: unhealthy. Like he's very mean to her for a while. But then when they finally start to bond, when she starts to fall for him and he starts to fall for her, they get into this conflict of she wants him to continue living for her which is very unhealthy it feels selfish
0: but I think it's supposed to represent plenty of people think this plenty of people think that like if you're unhappy in your life the people around you are what makes it worth living like I subscribe to that philosophy yeah I think that like it's just a point in the story where we're supposed to like see and recognize that those are her feelings and then by the end of that she's changed her mind Mm -hmm. right like I mean. She ultimately does go to Switzerland to, like, be there with him when he makes that decision. And uh, ultimately, she realizes that even though he loves her, like, he can't keep living just for her. That's not okay. So, like, yeah, she starts off a little bit selfish in that she's finally found something good and she wants to keep it. But, like, can any of us judge her for that? Like, that's that makes a lot of sense. I think all of us would feel that way. Yeah. And I also feel like in addition to kind of exploring some of the
1: different people's opinions on the central question, which we'll get into further later, I'm sure, it also does an excellent job of displaying like what trauma or stress, like extreme stress, can do to a family and to a person. Like in her family, her parents are stressed because they don't have a lot of money. And so you can kind of see that her parents, while they are not necessarily as nice to her as they could be, this experience has bonded them in a certain way. Like her parents seem to be in a much healthier relationship with each other than his parents do just because they, you know, share a room and talk to each other in scene that we see them in. Whereas Mm -hmm. his parents are usually apart. I mean, I don't know if the book talks about this at all, but what was his parents' relationship like before this accident? Because they seem estranged now, possibly because of it, because of their differences on what he should do.
0: I don't remember what, if it says anything about their relationship before. It's heavily implied that they had some problems before his accident, but that his accident made things worse. Okay. Just in terms of, like, his mom really buckles down and, like, throws herself into taking care of Will and also working. She's a judge. Mm. And in the book, Mr. Trainer, I don't honestly know if he has a job. The point is he's home a lot. I think he does something. For, his job involves caretaking the castle. And that's why he hires Lou's dad later. Oh, also part of that is that at one point, it's a little bit implied that Lou learns something about Mr. Trainer's affair. Mm. And that that's part of a factor as to why her dad gets that job. Whereas in the movie, it's a little bit more exclusively like will did this for me Mm -hmm. but anyway the point is that mr trainer is home more and mrs trainer is gone a lot because she is working and also like doing all of the things for will that he can't do like she is making sure that there are groceries and hiring nathan and doing the appointments calling the people those kinds of things so his dad is far less involved in the actual like caretaking of will he just kind of like comes down and hangs out with him sometimes i see I think it's interesting then that in the book, you see a lot more of his mom
1: doing things for him because in the movie, we don't see her hardly at all, except when she hires Lou. I think that might be her longest scene.
0: She's not around so much, but she is out doing things, Okay, you know? And I think that's part of it is like neither of them spends that much time with him because it's too hard. Yeah. So she pours herself into all these other tasks that she convinces herself are going to benefit him. And his dad is trying to move on before Will's even dead kind of thing.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. So definitely different like trauma processing is yeah. some people need to keep busy and some people need to move on. Yeah. Which I think also probably informs their stances on what he should do.
0: It's very much giving the lovely bones where the Mark Wahlberg character is like throwing himself into figuring out what happened to his daughter and the Rachel Weisz character like just moves away and starts a whole new life. Yeah.
1: I feel like also having his mom try to kind of micromanage his life, hiring Nathan and hiring Lou to boost his emotions and stepping in to do some of maybe his financial work Mm -hmm. is also contributing to like his sense that he has lost his masculinity and his dignity
0: yeah for sure
1: we see him being picked up and like physically carried by nathan at several points and sometimes he says things like that he just wants to feel like a man who has gone to a concert with a girl in a red dress like he doesn't want to get out of the car it was really nice
0: oh wow sometimes you just want to feel like every other bitch sometimes you do that's so nice Definitely. I think that masculinity is a huge part of this and that it definitely matters that Will is a man. Not to say that this doesn't happen to women, but I think that experiencing disability is different across gender and probably race also.
1: Yeah, I think also to get us away from disability for a second, masculinity is also really important to Patrick. True. Like Patrick, who is Lou's boyfriend. I don't know how long they've been dating, but it seems like a while. Yeah. He is a personal trainer. He's every single scene that we see him in, he is running. So he's always engaged in some some variety of physical activity, which is one, to distance him from Lou, who does not like that. And two, to like maybe kind of show us that he values certain things about himself. And one of those is independence, like the ability to carry himself around. When we see Will start to like pay for things for Lou, take her on this vacation, take her on dates, even though many of these are her ideas, It still reads very much to Patrick like Will is trying to date her and like trying to be this caregiver for her that Patrick wants to be.
0: I know you said that we're trying to get away from the disability conversation, but I think that a big part of Patrick being a personal trainer and Lou not liking that is like to make him a foil for Will who Mm. cannot physically move through the space that way, you know, like and who likes to. That's the other thing is I think that Patrick is definitely supposed to represent old Will. Yeah, Like that he is just as like active and mobile and like doing these crazy things, climbing mountains, like, you know, jumping off of shit and all the things that Will liked to do before his accident. And I think that that's supposed to help us understand that Lou and Will can only work because of this incident and kind of like add some complexity. But like they might have been OK before his accident, but like not really because he was a dick and so is Patrick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, do you think that this movie then suggests that like trauma changes
1: you as a person so fundamentally that you could go from being like kind of a dick to being by the end of the movie what seems like a nice person who is you know kind to people around him unlike patrick
0: I think that that's a way that the movie represents how disability is not the end of a life. Mm -hmm. Like, for as much shit as everyone is giving this movie about how, like, it creates a narrative that being disabled is a burden or that, like, it's not worth living. Like, there are also all of these moments where at any point Will could have decided that he wanted to keep living this way. Like, he has good experiences with Lou and they're happy together. and And he likes Nathan. He likes Nathan. He has a whole life, right? Like, and at the end of the day, it's just a decision. Like, it's not that... One thing is the right thing to do and one thing is the wrong thing to do. And I think his growth with Lou is representative of how, like, he could continue growing and become, like, happy ultimately, right? But that's not what he wants. He wants to be happy in the body he used to have. And that's so fair and valid. Mm-hmm. I feel like
1: that might be one reason why they included the character of Alicia, his former girlfriend. Because when she comes to visit and then later when we go to her wedding... Where she's married his best friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Honestly, that's bad for her. Bad yeah. look. But... She says to Lou, like, you can only help someone who wants to be helped. And we learned from Alicia and from his former best friend, now her fiancé slash husband, that Will had, in the year or so after his accident, pushed them away, like, vigorously. Like, did not want to see them, did not talk to them, refused to communicate. And essentially told them, like, leave me alone. I can't have that life anymore and you're a part of it. Yeah. So I feel like that's another instance where we can see, like, he could have continued the life that he had. Everything that he did was a choice. Yeah. I think also that, like you said, this movie shows that disability is not the end of a life it's not the end of a life for anyone here like every we see everyone post his disability post his accident their lives have significantly changed and they are all working with it they're Mm -hmm. all evolving improvise
0: adapt overcome
1: yeah none of their lives have stopped because of this
0: yeah and even after his death they don't stop right like lou has this whole like new path and her sister is in school and his parents are doing their own thing i think though that even though this movie shows that life continues after a
1: traumatic accident and life continues after a loss it does raise questions about, like, how do you say goodbye to the people who you are losing if you are losing them yeah. actively?
0: Loss is, like, a huge theme, both, like, of loss of an ability, loss of self, and loss of a loved one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's tricky because there's definitely no right answer to any of those questions, right? While you and I were watching this, you asked me if he is right to ask her to come to Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And I think that's definitely okay for him to ask. And it's okay for her to say no. I think that this movie would have been very different and also just as compelling if she had decided not to go because she didn't support the decision and that this isn't even including all of the people that don't have that choice right again like this is a choice and there are plenty of people that lose loved ones and don't get to have that like last final moment with them Mm -hmm. so on the whole stories aren't supposed to teach us what is right necessarily they're supposed to force you to think critically Mm -hmm. and come to your own conclusions morals in stories are really just problems that we have come up with like a socially acceptable answer to and uh, then some of them are trickier than others right and i think that this. This movie is not necessarily trying to say that this is the right way to deal with trauma or disability, but it is trying to analyze the decisions that go into making that choice.
1: Yeah, you commented to me while we were watching this that stories aren't supposed to teach you what is right, they're supposed to make you think about it. Yeah. And I feel that that maybe was communicated better in the book, where Jojo Moyes said that she just wanted to present an issue and one decision that could be made about it. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like an expose on here, all these characters and all their takes, how all of those takes change throughout various situations. Yeah,
0: because a lot of them change their feelings about it, right? Like when Lou first learns in like the middle of the book that he's decided to do this, Then she's like really angry and she decides that she can single handedly change this. And then by the end of the story, she's decided that it's not her decision at all and that she can't change his mind.
1: Yeah, I think also we see at the end of the movie that everyone in his life who matters like his ex-girlfriend and his ex-best friend aren't involved but everyone in his life who matters to him has accepted his decision and Lou and his mom and his dad all of them have starkly different opinions on whether or not he should be allowed to go to Switzerland to have physician-assisted suicide all of them show up for him at the end so this movie is just as much
0: about like supporting people's agency for sure yeah Will's whole character is all about agency like Everything about him is him wanting to make his own choices, right? Like... Mm -hmm he's frustrated at his lack of agency. I don't have a better word for it. And so much of it is him feeling out of control and he just wants to be able to like do things independently and all that the people around him want to do is help, right? And so like there's plenty of things that he can do for himself that people just, not like just don't let him, but that like people don't necessarily let him all of the time because they want to take care of him. And I think at the beginning of the story when we meet him that's where he is, is that he's just kind of given up and he's going to let his mom and Nathan do all the things for him that he needs done because he worked so hard in physical therapy and then only gained movement in those two fingers and he was like this isn't even worth it like i'm just not even but then kind of by the end he's doing some more things for himself and he is going out into the world with Lou and he's helping Lou by telling her like what he needs from her and what he doesn't so he's definitely more involved in his own life yeah i think the movie
1: also does a really good job because at the beginning of the movie we meet him and he is very clearly depressed he is wearing dark colors he has long hair and a beard, which is of course the depressed look.
0: Yeah, but it's so hot on Sam Claflin. <laughs> yeah. He'd be looking fine. I am sorry that you're depressed, Will Trainer, but you'd be looking good. Yeah. But he is very clearly depressed. Like his life seems dark.
1: And by the end of the movie it, it's not, right? Lou has both by her fashion and by her person put a lot of colour into his life. <laughs> And I feel that it's important for the central issue of this movie that he is very visibly, very clearly of sound mind and body to the extent that he can be at the end when he ultimately makes the decision to end his own life.
0: Yeah. Yes, definitely. His mental health definitely improves over the course of the film. And then that not to say that depressed people are not of sound mind, but like it is an altered state of mind Mm -hmm. um, to be having a depressive episode. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I did want to ask you a question, though, because the central theme of it is
1: suicide, which is not something that we see in very many films. Do you think that the movie is explicit about
0: suicide? I think that a lot of the dialogue around it is talking around, it's just like what I've been doing, like his decision and like talking around the word suicide, the action of taking one's own life. But some people are really explicit about it. Like when Lou's mom finds out that this is what is happening, she's like, you can't do that. It's murder. It's no better than murder is what she says. Mm-hmm. And at lots of points when people first learn about it are very upset, but then ultimately like are using this more like soft coded language. And I think that that's just a representation of coping, like the people not will in the story coping with that decision. But he never says like, I'm going to kill myself. He says that he's going to Switzerland, you know, or like that I'm going to do this. I think it may be one that this is a PG-13
1: movie, right? Yeah, for sure. So they probably can't talk about it as much. And also that for a lot of people, physician-assisted suicide reads very differently, motive-wise and action-wise, than other kinds of suicide. suicide. So that might be one reason why they kind of dance around it, just because it doesn't feel the same to a lot of people.
0: Yeah, I think that that is also why the movie doesn't necessarily have any, like... I mean, it also came out in 2016, but I think that's also why it doesn't have any, like, sort of content warning at the beginning, in the middle, or at the end. Like, there's no, like, if you or a loved one is being affected by this presently, call the suicide prevention line or, Mm -hmm. like, here are some resources, which are all things that we're more familiar with now in media that discusses heavy topics like this. And I'm not really sure why there was not more of that. I don't know too much about the promotion of this movie. So maybe they did some promotional things with the suicide prevention hotline and suicide prevention awareness. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It just feels like this movie is kind of happening in a vacuum in that we have a lot of context for the story. But I think that that's kind of what she's trying to achieve in saying, like, this is just about one man's choice. But there's kind of no, like, there's no overarching, like, moral or like, you should do this or this is how this is. It's kind of a vignette, a quick little look-see into one person's life and mind.
1: Do you think that a film of this nature has the responsibility to have something like a suicide hotline
0: in the credits? Yeah, I do. Not because I think anyone is going to watch this movie and think, I'm going to kill myself, even though the montages are really bad, but... Oh my god. (laughs) I just meant the music, (laughs) but... I don't think that this movie is necessarily explicitly triggering for a large swath of the population. Obviously, everyone has things that upset them. But I do think that if what we're trying to do with this movie is start a conversation, you need to provide resources for people to do that.
1: I do agree yeah I feel like I also don't know anything about the promotion of this movie but it does feel like if the goal of both the movie and the book was to start a conversation then that maybe it should have provided a forum for that as well
0: yeah for sure
1: and maybe they did and we just don't know about it but
0: yeah well I don't want to end on the sad shit so I would like to ask you since this is a romance how you felt about the romance their relationship and their love story
1: I felt of two minds about it. One, I felt at many points in this movie that it was not a romance. I felt it was more of a bildungsroman. Okay. In that... Lou is finding herself. Lou is finding herself and growing up. Okay. Yes, she falls in love, but I feel like a romance... I don't know. That's not true because Romeo and Juliet is a romance and it's also a tragedy. I don't know. I just feel that this movie is more about Lou's character and Will's character changing than it is about them falling in love. Yeah, and part of them changing is them falling in love and like them learning to accept parts of each other Mm -hmm. but yeah so I feel like my answer to your question is how did I feel about the romance I felt like it maybe wasn't a romance which is a weird thing to say because it definitely like is one everything about the marketing this movie felt romantic to me yeah
0: I think I'll argue that it is a romance just for fun okay and it's got some tropes we've got our grumpy sunshine dynamic literally he is like dark colored and she is light colored you know she's got all her yellow going through and he's all in his like grays and blacks and such Mm -hmm. there's also a little bit of enemies to lovers situation going on because when she first comes in he's very mean to her and I think some of their like falling in love situations in the movie are kind of distilled down into montages with really really terrible songs in the background yeah but in the book there's kind of a little bit more of like they're doing things together and learning things about each other and like while he is making her watch all of these truly pretentious foreign films like she is also showing him films and songs and stuff that she likes and so like they're kind of growing together and falling in love and I think one of the best scenes of their love story is when he comes to her birthday dinner and he's so nice to her family even though like it goes awful when he comes through the door her dad tries to shake his hand And no one seems to know how to be around him, but he, Mm -hmm. like, puts up with all of these things that, like, he's expressed before bother him about moving through the world and being in public for the express purpose of, like, making Lou happy and making sure she has a good day. And then he gives her the best present in the whole world, which is a recreation of the bumblebee tights she had when she was little. And I just think that that is so nice.
1: Yeah, it is really nice. I feel like. That birthday dinner in particular is supposed to cement their relationship and end her relationship
0: with Patrick. Yeah, for sure. Because Patrick is a tool during that yeah, whole thing. Yeah, Patrick is a tool. but He shows up like, late from yeah. his run, and he also gets her the world's ugliest Patrick necklace in the whole world. Yeah. And he is, like, consistently pretty rude to Will. Like, at one point he's like, yeah, I bet if I just physically train you, you can just walk again yeah (laughs) like it's such crap it really is giving just be happy and you won't be depressed like he was like exercise gives you endorphins and if you could just exercise maybe you wouldn't be so unhappy it's awful that's when we hate patrick i feel like also
1: it shows that like will understands her and where she is now and patrick clearly doesn't because he does not respond well to her doing her job in front of him Yeah. Like, when she has to feed Will because Will cannot feed himself.
0: I think that this is a really excellent romance in that it is not at all true love. Mm -hmm. You know, like, they're ships in the night passing. And I think it's really lovely. And, like, you can have this, like, really deep romantic love for someone who's only in your life for a short time. And relationships change you. And... Yeah, All and, of them are important.
1: And no relationship is wasted
0: either. And no relationship is wasted. Even if you
1: know from the beginning that it's not a relationship that will last, it's still useful there's to still Yeah, there's still merit in that.
0: And I really love that. Yeah. All right. You want to rate Sam?
1: One more thing about the romance. Okay. I think I also didn't think it felt like a romance because the whole time I wanted her to fall in love with Nathan. Nathan, who was so oh my really, gosh. a <laughs> great guy, an upstanding gentleman with yeah. a good job. You know, Nathan was a provider. Yeah. Nathan
0: was strong. Well, here's the thing. Nathan is actually too good for her. You're right. (laughs) In that this is like a six-month job that she has. This is Nathan's job every day. And he does eventually meet that very nice lady at the little retreat that they go to at the resort. And Mm. presumably she has a similar job to him due to the nature of the resort. So... It's like a resort for para and quadriplegics. And uh, Nathan meets a nice little girl. And I yeah. Nathan is smoking. He's yeah. very attractive. That's what I'm saying. He's super fine and Australian, which is one of the hotter accents. But Facts. yeah, I think Nathan has a great character. Nathan also has the best take about Will's decision. He's like, look, I don't want to see him do that either. He and Lou have a conversation that's basically like, look, I don't want to see him do that either. But like, you have to understand the amount of pain he's in every day. And like, he's yeah. putting on a brave face for all of us. But like, this is not a life, the life you think it is. Right. Yeah.
1: I feel like Nathan does the best job of having an opinion about Will's decision to end his own life that is not his own opinion. Like, he is simply saying, from a a purely logical standpoint, he should be allowed to do what he wants. Like, everyone else kind of makes it, like, like, Lou's mom makes it about religion. Lou's dad kind of makes it about religion and, like finances and such and Mm -hmm. trina makes it also about her everyone's decisions are kind of coming from them especially like we can see that very clearly in the character i guess in the book more clearly of um, mr trainer because he wants will i guess he doesn't want will to die but he wants will to be able to make his own decision because that will enable him to make his own in his love life
0: i think that book mr trainer is just searching for closure for everyone and Mm -hmm. i think in his mind that will provide everyone closure right because under any other circumstance everyone else gets closure except will yeah. Who has to, like, keep living in this space he's deeply unhappy in. hmm So. I, to get back to your question, though, I feel like, for me, this
1: is a three-star movie. Okay. I didn't care about many of the technical choices. I thought that the soundtrack was actively bad. I think also that, like, for the genre, for the romantic genre, this is not a great example of that. Because, like I said, it's not
0: really that much of a romance. I also just didn't love it. Okay. I liked it. I think that I might give it four stars. I agree that it is not strictly a romance, but I think that books are often best when they cross multiple genres. I think that it made me cry, which automatically makes me want to give it one more star mm-hmm. than it normally would. I think you're right. It's not well made technically, but I thought the acting was really good. I thought Sam freaking ate. And I think I would give him four and a half stars. I think also that this movie could have been a better book to
1: movie adaptation, not plot wise, because it clearly carried all the same plot things, but like complexity wise, and that it lost a lot of the complexity, which is so important for a debate about something like this. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like I'm going to stick with three stars, but I totally agree. Sam killed it for four and a half stars. Easy.
0: Well, we have some announcements for you guys. First, we want to shout out my friend Alexis, who asked all of us to read this book with her in my book club and then i want to shout out all of the other book club girlies for helping me remember all of the plot points to the books that i could (laughs) accurately represent it on this episode that's and also just having great conversations with me through the medium of books so if you're looking for something to do with your friends you should send them a copy of your favorite books and force them to analyze it and then we also want to plug our social media make sure you guys go follow us on instagram at where do i know them from for fun reels and uh, more Letterboxd reviews, because why else would you listen to this podcast if not <laughs> Letterboxd reviews and bad reels? You can catch up with us, see how we're doing, see how we're watching the movies. Yeah. Yeah. See you all next week.